Joe Biden's campaign is bringing in all the dollars with 19 days until the election. Billie Eilish delivered a solid fuck you to body shaming. And we might have another coronavirus peak on our hands. Andy Slavitt is the former administrator of the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services, host of the In the Bubble podcast, and here with us today to talk about it. The date, October 15, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey, everyone. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. All right, we've got a lot to get through today, so let us jump right into today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. With only 19 days left until Election Day, Joe Biden's campaign has been, to paraphrase one of the great poets of our age, making money moves. In a video from the campaign, the Biden team announced that they now have $432 million in the bank, mostly from grassroots organizers thanks to record fundraising in September. But you know how much money we raised in the month of September? $380 million. I can, that's more money I've ever raised my whole, my whole life. 5.5 million donors like you. 5.5. But it's not all good news out of the Biden camp. The campaign announced today that vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris will suspend all of her travel through Sunday after two people associated with the campaign tested positive for the coronavirus. According to campaign manager Jen O'Malley Dillon, quote, neither of these individuals had any contact with Vice President Biden, with Senator Harris or any other staff member since testing positive or in the 48 hour period prior to their positive test results. Biden and President Donald Trump will be airing their own separate town hall events tonight at 8 p.m., so uh, check your local listings to tune in. Meanwhile, we might be seeing a third coronavirus peak in the United States, and Europe is facing its own new wave of the virus, with an average of 100,000 new infections per day. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty, Casey, how do you think the U.S. has reacted to this new wave versus Europe's wave? Um, not great. I mean, solid bet. Solid bet you're willing to put money on that, Rackham? <laughs> yes, okay, a lot good. of money. <laughs> good. Solid answer, because uh, here's what's happening. London and Paris have imposed new overnight curfews to try and contain the virus, and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson explains why. The number of cases has quadrupled in the last three weeks. There are now more people in hospital with COVID than when we went into lockdown on March the 23rd, and deaths are already rising. Meanwhile, in the U.S., we've done something similar, except not similar at all, which is to say we have done none of those things. We have not done any of that, <laughs> while the virus is now ripping through the Midwest and rural areas. These are the new astronomical numbers that we're looking at. The COVID-19 tracking project reports more than 37,000 current hospitalizations nationwide, the highest number of hospitalizations since late August. According to Johns Hopkins University, nearly 8 million people across the U.S. have contracted the virus since the pandemic first began, and more than 216,000 Americans have died. Yeah, um... Those are crazy numbers, and I'm just, you know, I'm also very glad I bet all that fictional money. I right? think you I'm fictionally ro- rich now. You are rolling in it. You are one of the billionaires able to build a bubble for yourself and your loved ones. You don't have to worry about going to work, infecting others, riding the subway, none of that mess. You are Jeff Bezos of fictional money at the moment. No, I don't want to be Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I'm better late. than Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't, you are, Casey. I apologize. But yeah, uh, we are doing nothing to 
really uh, get people the money they need to stay home, like especially the restaurant industry, man. That I feel bad for every restaurant worker, every bar worker who doesn't have a choice between going to work uh, and getting the money that they need to survive because the bars are for some reason open in their state versus staying home and keeping themselves safe. All right, and if that wasn't bleak enough, we know that 8 million people in the U.S. have fallen into poverty since federal aid largely dried up in May. And unsurprisingly, Black people and children have been hurt the most. This is, of course, after the number of people living in poverty fell by 4 million at the start of the pandemic, thanks to the $2 trillion CARES Act. And on top of that, a new report says that back in February, when Trump was telling the country not to worry about this whole coronavirus thing, his advisors were having private meetings with Republican donors that, yeah, things could get kind of bad. The New York Times claims that it's these meetings that actually push a lot of wealthy people in the investment world to sell off or short their stocks. Um, I don't know if you know these numbers, but I think I saw a graphic yesterday and, you know, I can't believe everything on the Internet. So I'm checking with you, who's my personal Internet. Yeah. Um, that Jeff Bezos's net worth has uh, increased by a hundred billion dollars. I don't know if that exact number is correct, but it definitely has. He and like a bunch of other billionaires have made money during this pandemic. And a lot of that's because of how artificially uh, the stock market was propped up at the start of all of this, how the stock market, every time it sounds like there might be some sliver of hope that things are going to be fine or that the, that the government's going to pass a new stimulus bill, they bet accordingly. Uh, because what is a stock market if not one giant legal gambling ring? Great. <laughs> yeah. All right. That was a lot to digest. Casey, uh, what do we have going on in the pop culture universe? Oh, well, Billie Eilish sent a subtle but strong response to her body shamers after paparazzi photos of the star went viral earlier this week. The photos show the 18-year-old, yes, just an 18-year-old, walking down the street in a pair of shorts and a tank top. That's it. Like, she looks completely normal. But trolls online had a field day, somehow finding fault with her weight and size and saying things that, quite frankly, aren't worth repeating here, so I'm not going to. A lot of people jumped in to defend Eilish, including actor Kat Dennings, who tweeted, quote, anyone reacting to Billie Eilish having a normal body has to take a hard look at themselves. As someone who looked exactly like that at her age, it'd be nice for this unhealthy nonsense to fuck right off. She's beautiful and normal. Goodbye. While Eilish hasn't addressed the situation directly, she did post this clip of YouTuber Chizzy Duru to her Instagram stories. Y'all gotta start normalizing real bodies, okay? Not everybody has a wagon behind them, okay? Guts are normal. They're normal. Boobs sag, especially after breastfeeding. Instagram isn't real. Eilish also picked up two Billboard Awards last night, which, you know, serves as another nice fuck you to her haters. Yeah, I am looking at this picture right now, and she looks like a bunch of people I went to high school with, like right around the time we graduated. Like I, that's crazy if this is what's drawing all this stir. There's so many levels to it. One, she's only 18 years old. You know, two makes me feel bad about my body because I'm like, she looks like she's a normal body. I have a normal body. It's like very frustrating to see this like so publicly happen. And another thing that's really frustrating, I don't know if you know this about her, but um, she has spoken out before about why she usually wears baggy clothing. Right. And it's because she doesn't want people criticizing her body. And this makes me think about the other day when we were talking about Megan the Stallion, who was just saying like, hey, I didn't want to come out and talk about what was happening because I knew that 
the public would react this way. And this is the same way as like Billie Eilish is like, hey, I wore baggy clothing because I didn't want people to react this way. And it's like in both of these situations, it's like these women knew. These women knew how pe- how society was going to react to their situations. And it's just like really unfortunate. Right. Honestly, the only thing we should be talking about is looking at this picture again. What are those? Like those shoes and those socks. <laughs> That's a choice, Billy. That is a no, choice. You know what? I-, I stand firmly by that anyone can wear whatever they want during the pandemic. <laughs> okay, fair. That is legit. All right, moving on. An update on something we told you about earlier this week. Rose McGowan has issued a response after getting called out by one of the stars of the Charmed reboot for trashing their version of the show in a viral TikTok. And her response is, well, I'll just read it to you. McGowan says she had no idea who actor Sarah Jeffrey even was until she read her tweet, adding she's been, quote, too busy fighting monsters and fighting for a massive cultural reset to notice who's in the reboot. She also took things a step further, actually chastising Jeffrey, saying, quote, absolutely nothing to do with race. That's quite a stretch you took. I'm beyond glad any woman of color has a well-paying job. Hell yes to that. I'm sure you are a great actress. Holly Marie Combs joined in with a rebuttal on Twitter, saying Jeffrey's tweet thread was, quote, some bullshit and a lot of it. Okay, so first of all, I just want to note the disrespect in Rose McGowan's follow-up tweet. Not that I absolutely nothing to do with race part. We'll come to that in a second. But <laughs> I'm sure you are a great actress. She hasn't even fucking watched the show, and she's shitting all over it. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. I, I'm like, my blood is boiling after reading these. I, I'm sorry. These women are grown women who have gone through the industry. They like, I'm not even going to pretend to know what it's like to be a woman in the 90s in Hollywood. I'm sure it was rough, but they went through it. And now it's like, you know, I just like cannot believe that they're trashing the show and trying to pretend that like Sarah Jeffries is the one who's in the wrong in this situation and making a mountain out of a molehill. No, that's not the case. Right. Absolutely. I mean, Rose, you could have sat there and ate your damn food. You could have been fine. You could have crusaded for the things you want to crusade for with out having to talk about this show that you, again, have not watched. And then when she comes up and says, hey, I, I didn't feel great about this, especially as a woman of color, anytime you have to write the word, it actually has absolutely nothing to do with race, you are probably in the wrong. I'm just going to put that out there as a pro tip. If a person of color tells you that it's about race, then it's about race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you cannot, mm-hmm. as a white person, be like, no, that that's not it. Uh, no, you don't know what you're talking about, lady. I will say that there are like a very, very small percentage of times where it's like, oh, that wasn't about race. But in the end, it actually kind of is because if it made it tr- that trigger that in your brain, that w- is a learned response in there that has been activated for a reason. Anyways, um, I'm putting it out there. I'm officially Team Sarah Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, when we come back, we're talking more in depth about COVID with Andy Slavitt. Stay right there. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. 
Gangsta Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangsta Chronicles podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Roxanne Gay, host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Now, what is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, you might ask? Well, it's a podcast where I'm going to speak my mind about what's on my mind, and that could be anything. Every week, I will be in conversation with an interesting person who has something to say. We're going to talk about feminism, race, writing in books and art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. I start each show with a recommendation. Really, I'm just going to share with you a movie or a book or maybe some music or a comedy set, something that I really want you to be aware of and maybe engage with as well. Listen to the Luminary Original Podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, the Bad Feminist Podcast of Your Dreams, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Now, if you were listening to the beginning of the show, you may have noticed that the Rona's not going anywhere. Nope, here in the U.S., we could be well on our way to a third peak of infections. To help us through this, we're joined by Andy Slavitt, the former administrator of the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services under Barack Obama and host of the new podcast In the Bubble. Good afternoon. Hey, guys. So right now, we're quite possibly approaching a third peak in terms of infections here. We all know about the states that have been following the White House's pretty lax lead. Are there any state governments who are doing things right but still seeing a rise? Let's first just put some context around this. This is a novel virus. Uh, and what it does is it goes to the places where it hasn't been before, where it's easy to spread. And those are generally places that are indoors, where a lot of people accumulate and where people aren't taking precautions like wearing masks and so forth. So wherever that happens, we, we can't be surprised that that's where the virus is going to spread. And then can it be done? Can, can this be successfully uh, mitigated? The first place I pointed to would be Africa, where they've got 1.3 billion people and they've had about 35,000 deaths. So this is not a particularly high-tech solution we're talking about. This is a kind of a very standard public health solution, wear a mask, don't breathe near one another. Uh, and, you know, I think certain states are doing it well. Nobody can do, nobody's doing it universally well. But people who have sort of not seen this yet and maybe a little bit tired of living through this pandemic um, are now people that are very at risk. So what do you think? Should we be going back into quarantine? The government tells you to do this, go into quarantine. Those kinds of things aren't working very well here. You got to sell this to people. You got to help people understand what the benefit of a little bit of sacrifice is. You got to model that behavior from leadership. Uh, you have to re remind people what they still can do. If you do those things, then you can get mask use up from where it is today, which is about fifty percent, to about eighty percent, which makes an enormous difference. So I don't think there's a black and white go into quarantine. Uh, I do think there is a dial it up, dial it down approach that we need and we need to have the tools to do it. But if we don't have the public on board, um, none of this happens. So knowing what we know now, if you could go back to early March and change one piece of the advice you were giving then, what would it be? 
I think I would emphasize uh, a couple of points. One is that that we know now more about where the hotspots are. You know, while I while I was very focused on bars, uh, I would have been even more focused on bars. You know, we lost a lot of time and a lot of people um, when when things like that stayed open. And I tried to push the Trump administration, and as many others did, to be more to be proactive and uh, and, and taking control of the situation. And you know that didn't that didn't happen, obviously. As recently as last week, the president has said we'll be getting a vaccine, quote, very shortly, boasting about how he's pushing the FDA. Here's what he recently told followers at a rally. Because we're years ahead on vaccines and they're going to be distributed very shortly. I mean, frankly, it's a big political deal going on where they don't want it to be before the election. Don't let it be. But we have great vaccines coming. Johnson and Johnson, Moderna, Pfizer. I mean, we have great, great things happening with the vaccines. What do you see as the biggest risks of a vaccine being rushed through like this? You have to start these conversations by saying vaccines are amazing things. They're wonderful. We cannot live without them. In any conversation about vaccines uh, and the political pressure on the FDA, um, let's not lose the forest from the trees. You know, the president is right about one thing, that the scientists uh, are doing a remarkably quick work. Um, and remarkably good work at getting uh, a vaccine closer and closer to being ready. Now, none of them are ready yet. It, it's really not um, the politics that are slowing things down. It's actually politics that are naturally speeding things up. You cannot just snap your fingers and say when that's going to happen. When the data comes in, I'm quite confident that the FDA will approve a vaccine as soon as possible. We need a vaccine that works that's gone through the right process. I'm confident that that can happen. It's not possible for it to happen before the election, but I will tell you, if if it were possible, that would be great news. Mm. Are we going to see a lot of people hesitant to take the vaccine the same way we've been fighting against people wearing masks? We, we can't lose sight of the fact that a vaccine is going to be a critical tool. It's not the only tool, but it'll be a critical tool to getting us where we need to get. And the way people will get over that hesitancy is by a very transparent look at the data, by scientists opining on the effectiveness of the vaccine, by it being removed from politics, and then by people we trust, like our doctors and nurses, you know, taking the vaccine first. And if they have confidence in the vaccine, I think many other people will as well. Now that the president has, quote, recovered from COVID-19, the White House is again pushing the idea of possibly achieving herd immunity. But how dangerous would it be to actually attempt something like that right now? It's incredibly dangerous and it's incredibly foolhardy. I describe it as where cruel and stupid meet. You know, it, It's cruel in the sense that um, by allowing for herd immunity, you're basically taking the 40 percent of Americans who have some vulnerability um, to and some risk factor, um, and you're basically saying um, you have to isolate. Now, what's stupid is how how could you possibly isolate? Most seniors live in the community; they don't live in congregate care settings. Uh, they live with their family. Those family members work. You know, it's just not possible to protect people if if you allow the disease to spread rapidly. The other reason it's stupid, of course, is because it assumes that second word, immunity. And we don't yet understand immunity. 
Right. So uh, if you were still in charge of Medicare and Medicaid, would there be any levers that you could pull to help people that aren't being pulled right now by this administration? Well, sure. You need Congress's help. Um, And, you know, so far, the president has been unwilling to ask Congress to help provide um, medical care for people. But, you know, it's very clear that in the countries that are doing this well, they have a couple things we don't have. They have paid medical leave. As soon as people um, suspect that they've either come into contact with someone or have uh, a symptom, they should be able to stay home and get paid medical leave. Secondly, medical care itself. If people don't feel like they can afford to have medical care or they can't disclose their illness because they're afraid that will not qualify them for insurance, that is going to keep the virus circulating. So there are very basic steps that sitting down with Congress and saying, this is what we need to do. It's been proven to work around the world. Let's do it here. On your podcast, In the Bubble, you recently spoke with Zeke Emanuel, who advises Joe Biden's coronavirus task force. Should his campaign win, how would they approach the situation and what advice would you give them? Well, you know, I do talk to the Biden team. And look, I think the, the first thing to understand is Joe's been through this before. We can evaluate Biden's Ebola response against Trump's COVID-19 response. And I think you learn everything you'll need to learn. What, what you need to step up right now as a leader is competence, compassion, great communication skills. And uh, if you don't bring those three things, then um, it becomes much more challenging. You know, competence in the form of making sure that we pass the right laws, that we have uh, the ability to distribute vaccines, that we have the ability to do um, and ramp up testing quickly enough, that we are developing uh, therapies. Compassion to understand that there are communities that are hurting and you can't walk around talking about silver bullets all the time. You know, Joe Biden's demeanor is that he will not sleep at night as long as people in this country aren't safe. And that's what I want in a president. And then communication, it's probably the biggest challenge of all. But how do you um, get people on the same page, um, take the, uh, the, the pressure down, depoliticize this? You know, Biden views himself as a unifier. Um, so I think he will go at that pretty hard. Well, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time and giving us all of this info about coronavirus response. We really appreciate it. Let's do it. All right, we've got time for one more thing. We all know that reading is what? Fundamental. (laughs) But with libraries across the country trying to find ways to engage readers thanks to the pandemic, the Duke University Libraries came out with an informative video on how to safely grab your books. Check out part of this song, which absolutely slaps. I did not expect that song to go so hard, but it's like Daft Punk and that one episode <laughs> of Arthur Words a Musical and they're singing about the library had a baby, a beautiful ba- aardvark French baby. Oh my God, yes. 
Okay, Arthur's a very good reference point here. I was gonna go, I was gonna go more of an <laughs> 80s direction, but I think if all three of those had a baby, <laughs> it would be this. I basically want to know if a student did this. This feels very student and I love it so much. It's one of two things. Either very student or someone who is like very much just our age. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? This is what I like. Ergo, here we go with this ad campaign. <laughs> I also feel like this would be one of those passion projects like um Ben in Parks and Rec when he he doesn't have a job and he makes that claymation thing because you know there's not too i'm sure they're not very <laughs> busy person yeah. this. <laughs> and, which is very applicable to right now but I, i'm guessing you know the libraries aren't very busy because they're not open so uh they had a lot of time to do this so i want to know this either took one day or it took six months <laughs> One of the two. Okay, wait, can I tell you something that's so ridiculous that I just remembered about my college library? Yes. Oh my God, I can't believe they did this. So there's, you know, like rooms that you can rent out at the library for clubs. Mm -hmm. One time, the library at my college let the school's acapella (gasps) group rent out the room it was literally 8 p.m during a weekday and people are studying for finals and the acapella group is just there not during finals (laughs) week that i think should be like i i like acapella music and an embarrassing amount but even that's a lot for me were they good i gotta ask were they good (laughs) yes they were good Okay. All right. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow for another installment of DM911 with Stephen LaConte. And remember, having fun isn't hard when you've got your library card. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. For my small bookstore to thrive, I can't just sell books. So I created a radio ad at iHeartAdBuilder.com to tell everyone about our author events, our story hours for kids, and our amazing lattes. Now we're busier than ever. I'd call that a success story. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com. Hi, I'm Robert Sex Reese, host of the Dr. Sex Reese Show. And every episode, I listen to people talk about their sex and intimacy issues. And yes, I despise every minute of it. I yeah. mean, she, she made mistakes too, right? That's I mean, true. She, she did she, kill everyone at her wedding. But hell is real. We're all trapped here. And there's nothing any of us can do about it. So join me, won't you? Listen to the Dr. Sex Reese Show every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've always had the feeling that there's something strange about reality. According to the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast, there is. On the show, hosts Robert Lamb and Joe McCormick examine neurological quandaries, cosmic mysteries, evolutionary marvels, and much more. Prosthetics are true testaments to not only human craftsmanship and ingenuity, but also to the plasticity of the human brain. Listen to Stuff to Blow Your Mind on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo.